Hello and welcome to episode number 12. We've officially hit the dozen of the Daniel Rosell podcast. Now this is going to be kind of a weird episode. There's a few reasons it's, it's, it's weird. Firstly, I'm recording this at almost six in the morning, local time in the uh, bustling metropolis, as I always say somewhat sarcastically, of Jerusalem. And uh, unfortunately, I would love to say I'm an early riser getting up at 5am, but the truth is that I have not been to bed and I need to meet someone in about eight hours. So my whole sleep um, is gone a bit wonky today. I pulled pulled an all-nighter. It was a kind of marathon day of work with meetings and uh proposals and i won't bore anybody with the details but i was sitting here at six in the morning um whereupon i decided it would be nice to have a beer because um for various logistical reasons um (laughs) i did not even succeed in eating dinner uh tonight so i had my beer and then i got this um i haven't had beer in a couple of weeks and when i had my beer i realized why i've almost stopped drinking beer and that's because of this whole functional dyspepsia business so when i started getting the whole functional dyspepsia symptoms i realized that a few weeks ago i had recorded this video um that i was going to post on this facebook group about functional dyspepsia there's a few but there's one big one big comparatively speaking with about 1500 members and uh, it didn't come out great i was using my webcam and another microphone and there were syncing issues i'm getting the burping now and this was this was before um the lockdown kind of ended here in in israel and i had this like crazy crazy mop of hair so for various reasons i never posted it it's like unlisted on my private youtube account um but i thought it was a pity because i really wanted to discuss this because it's like in kind of unknown issue um and it's not obviously unknown given that there is a facebook group but when i started looking for info about it after my gallbladder surgery which is when my and this is going to sound melodramatic, but I'm going to use the word battle because it really is a struggle to live with this. When my battle started was after my gallbladder surgery and I have a reputation, you know, amongst friends and whatnot as a kind of online sleuth. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I can find stuff online and it really wasn't easy to find a lot of information online about this condition. So, um there's no real reason for me to be speaking into a microphone at six in the morning about my health issues um but the only reason i'm doing that is because of this fact that i don't think there is a lot of info and it's kind of not to compare this to mental health struggles but i think that's a reason why a lot of people with stuff like anxiety depression talk about their condition as the idea is to bring awareness so that was why i recorded it and and i actually felt quite good after recording it that i had done something worthwhile and then unfortunately as i said when i looked back i I kind of came to the conclusion that it wasn't really wasn't really that brilliant what i had recorded um but what i realized about 10 minutes ago at six in the morning after consuming a beer um was that um uh there was no need for visuals like this could have been a podcast episode so that's what i'm doing i'm doing a podcast alternative to my um 
to my failed video attempt because there's really no need for visuals for me to describe this. So what I want to do in this podcast, and again, this is kind of a little bit incongruous with the whole podcast I've done so far. Firstly, for anybody interested in following the stuff I write on the internet, um, I wrote about six months ago my post-gallbladder surgery experience. And to be honest, nothing significant has really changed uh, for me health-wise since that point. So it's, it's kind of where I am now, essentially. And this is something that I feel strongly about. And, and generally, that's why I do stuff like write articles on Medium, record podcasts, record videos. You know, this is uh, in, in my day job. I work as a writer for technology companies predominantly. So all this uh, publishing activity for me is is always a, is it's a hobby, and for me, if I'm going to be writing in my spare time, uh, even though I enjoy it, it's always coming from a place of passion. So um, I do feel passionately about this issue, and my passion, my passion, or my belief is that I think that there are a lot of people going in for unnecessary gallbladder surgeries, and uh, I believe I'm going to just put this out there as well that we, meaning humanity, um, is going to look back on um, the advent of laparoscopic surgery and this era of, you know, so many so many gallbladders being taken out. And uh, I, I have a feeling, just a strong feeling, that we're going to, at some point, discover all these uses for the gallbladder and be like, oh yeah, probably wasn't such a great idea to take out all these gallbladders because it is such a common procedure and it just strikes me that I have met like tens if not hundreds of thousands not personally obviously but if you add up all the people in these communities um, suffering from uh, post gallbladder issues and you know it's really annoying because I mean people do have the surgery and they're completely fine I like I realize that I've heard about them and to be honest, I'm complete, like I'm totally jealous of them. Um, I wish I had no issues, but I have had a ton of issues. And I think there are a lot of people uh, that have had a bunch of issues. And, you know, one, one thing about the, the, the internet here is that it's true that people with issues are going to be much more motivated to post online than those without issues. Because if you're you know, if you've had a successful surgery and there's no complications, you're probably not going to want to join a Facebook group about post gallbladder and and whatnot. Um, but I don't think that discounts the fact that there there are just so many people. I think my my feeling is that it's probably some combination of luck. Uh, maybe mental health does play a part because I know for functional dyspepsia, and I'll get into that. There's definitely a connection there between between the two. Um, so maybe it's people that were perhaps uh, a bit more stressed going into their surgery uh, and that ended up with these issues. So the one I'm going to talk about today is what I've been diagnosed with. And this is really the first time I've ever talked about a health issue uh, that I have. Uh, and again, it's purely for from the perspective that I want to just kind of talk about this and if people plug in functional dyspepsia to a podcast search engine that there is at least one there's a couple more but uh there's at least one patient perspective out there uh that somebody can find um so without further ado okay so basically functional dyspepsia what is it um dyspepsia is like basically the fancy medical term for 
and that was me suppressing a burp and that <laughs> that is basically for me a lot of what it is it, it, dyspepsy is a fancy medical term for uh, indigestion is the common word but i think that's really really um bad uh because it just makes it sound like a small problem and this is like anything from from my perspective i had my gallbladder removed about 15 months ago uh give or take that's inexact a year and a few months um and there have been few days where i haven't been to some extent plagued by these symptoms so i really don't think calling it indigestion and that's that's actually even not something i had before my surgery i didn't have these symptoms so i guess i didn't really think much about the problem but from what i understand from people that do suffer from this indigestion can be like an occasional thing and you take a antacid acid related and that kind of settles it down and that just doesn't do any justice to this condition uh, called functional dyspepsia there are other statistics and again i just have a hard time believing them about the prevalence of functional dyspepsia in the general population that it's something like 10 percent which means one in 10 which again suggests to you that oh this isn't really such a big deal but um judging by how few people are in the functional dyspepsia group on facebook um which is a worldwide group um you know a thousand fifteen hundred at the time of recording this uh, i just don't think there are i don't think clinical functional dyspepsia is that common at all um, I think it's probably there's some kind of a uh, distinction not happening between pathological functional dyspepsia and dyspepsia that meets a medical there's there's something going on there it's not that common I haven't met people that are suffering from from this kind of sim symptom complex and before I had my gallbladder surgery all these sensations I'm feeling, even as I record this into the microphone here, uh, were, were totally foreign to me. I mean, the only time I could say I felt anything like this was maybe once every few years going to a uh, buffet or, you know, you eat a ton and you get these kind of symptoms. So let me explain basically what it is. So indigestion would be the closest uh, colloquial term. Um, the medical term would be dyspepsia. And functional means that... Um, and again, I should preface this by saying that I'm not a doctor. All this is based on my sort of layperson understanding. But the, what functional means is that there isn't a organic cause for it. And by organic, from what I understand, it means something something physically obvious. And people um, make the leap, the incorrect leap, by saying if it's not organic and what would organic be an organic gastrointestinal disease might be let's say i think crohn's disease um what's the other type of irritable bowel disease i should know this because i had a friend in college who had it um ulcer ulcerative colitis uc so stuff that has like a clear physical cause and it's you know you can see it under a microscope and it's kind of under it's clearly understood what the cause of the symptoms are functional dyspepsia the functional means that um, there isn't an obvious organic cause but that does not mean that it's necessarily psychosomatic the lack of organic cause and this is what i understand functional dyspepsia to be is a pathology of the brain gut connection so we have 
obviously we have a brain um, and we have a nervous system relay, a big nerve running running down our body called the vagus nerve that uh, partially innervates the uh, nervous system. And this, this is all kind of terminology I picked up from the internet, so I hope I'm using it correctly. Um, but the way I think about it, the way my gastroenterologist has described it is it's a bit like uh, a transmission chain on a car. If you've, if you've ever had your transmission belt out of sync on a car and the car isn't quite in sync, it's like the wheels aren't spinning. The car is not in sync. The motor is not in sync. And that's kind of what functional dyspepsia is like uh, in physical terms. The, the brain controlling your digestion and the nervous system running down into your stomach and into your colon that's actually you know making all the digestive processes happen there's a miscommunication and stuff is like misfiring so you're getting back all these weird symptoms so that's what functional dyspepsia um is basically um it's a it doesn't have an organic cause and that doesn't really tell you what the cause is it just excludes excludes a cause um and again all this is just based on my understanding so there are two main types of functional dyspepsia um and sorry before i forget and i'm recording this off the cuff so i don't have like show notes in front of me besides this facebook group and if you you can find it by searching facebook for functional dyspepsia the rome foundation r-o-m-e the city it's named after a symposium held in italy the Rome Foundation is really the kind of uh, body that's done the, the you know the most research into this. They have a very good web, very informative website, um, intended for both clinicians and patients. So uh, you sh- people should check that out. The Rome Foundation they've done a, re- a lot of really uh, that's the kind of uh, if you want to find a first portal of information and really there aren't that many about FD, then check out their website, um, the Rome Foundation. Um, two main types of of functional dyspepsia uh one is called epigastric pain syndrome and that's a just pain without an organic cause you have a you have pain whenever you eat um i'm not so familiar with this because i have the other type i have postprandial distress syndrome again the name sounds almost trivial it's like oh post you know i think i think most people know that uh postprandial means after you eat a meal it comes from the latin uh it sounds oh you had a bit too much to eat and you've got a bit of bloating and gas and that is what it means but it's like way way more in my case far-reaching than that so what i have is basically this i had my gallbladder out as i said the best part of 15 months ago and uh, I had initially um, bile reflux which is part of what can go wrong when you have your gallbladder out that means the bile that your gallbladder used to hold starts refluxing up into your stomach and that makes you feel very sick and very nauseous and can make you throw up you throw up bile basically um, for me that's settled down thankfully uh, with time I didn't expect it to but it kind of has there's medication for that called a bile binder that mops up the bile uh, for me this is one problem that's gotten better so that but at the start it was very bad that was my first thing after I came out of surgery um, and again there are people that have their gallbladder out and they're 110% fine and they go back to eating whatever they want to eat 
and everything's beautiful and that's wonderful but the fact that those people exist doesn't take away from the fact that there are people like me and many other people that just don't have such a seamless recovery so that was my first thing I had that and that kind of as I said went from being a big problem was feeling sick and vomiting uh, almost every day to being it it kind of improved by itself I guess as my system adjusted but what didn't improve and what kind of became more noticeable as that wore off was like okay the, the way to describe it for me and I'm recording this partially for selfish reasons uh perhaps i will find someone um i've already found people but I'll find more people with my symptoms and we can discuss what's helping and what's not helping and, and whatnot um for me the first thing was drinking liquids so like i would drink a glass of water and usually when you drink or you eat if you think about it you're not you don't really feel stuff going down you're not supposed to like you know you just eat you don't think about it you drink you drink water you eat dinner and stuff you know just flows through your system and it was a weirdest feeling and I still have this every time I drink water basically um it just felt like it was sitting in my stomach uh you could feel it going down sitting on my stomach and then um regurgitation so the water coming back up the esophagus and burping um so the classic hallmark of functional dyspepsia is they're called upper gi upper gastrointestinal and again this is all things i've learned in the course of 16 months of suffering with this if you think about ibs which is another much better known functional disease that's a functional gi disease of the colon so your colon spasming so i had ibs for about a month i got a really really bad stomach bug uh when i was in israel for the first time like a crazy bad stomach bug and it took me a month for my stomach to kind of get back into into nor into normality so i've encountered ibs thankfully for me it was and that's pretty i think quite a common situation you get a bug and it lasts for a few weeks uh so that's all so i know what that feels like that's all stuff that's your cold your, your pain and spasming and that kind of stuff um the difference between ibs and functional dyspepsia is fd is upper intestinal symptoms so that means basically regurgitation so that's liquids and foods moving the wrong way up your esophagus burping and this is the one that drives me absolutely crazy it's like i and again excuse the too much information this is a podcast of nothing but tmi uh but i guess uh it's like i'm i'm burping but i can't get the burps out so like little little partial burps come out and this happens basically if i drink liquid or um beer which i've just had is the absolute worst um because probably because it's carbonated and it's fermented um and that i'll just be like uh, 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 going like this for like an hour sometimes sometimes this can go on for like hours after you eat a drink and i hope that makes clear why this isn't kind of a trivial complaint because if every single time you eat or drink you you're burping and regurgitating and when you're regurgitating it your, your throat's hurting and your throat's getting acid on you know all these problems that happens every single time you eat 
and last for hours that really really diminishes your quality of life and that's what i found it's been really tough to deal with this and um it's been as much a mental struggle and i think that's that's what that's what is very confusing about fd is a lot of people are under the um the mistaken idea that it's a psychosomatic or mental health caused disease but the problem is that once you get this and you can get it for completely on psycho on psychological reasons let's say my gastro says he thinks it's related to nerve damage from the surgery vagal nerve damage that's what he's told me um but once you get it you're naturally going to be stressed it's stressful the stress for me is am i always going to be feeling like this will i ever get back to normal uh and eating becomes stressful if every time you eat is going to trigger symptoms you kind of develop this unhealthy apprehension and, and what i do and it's i know it's really bad and i shouldn't do it is you know i sometimes if i'm really really focused on work and i don't want to be distracted by my symptoms i'll just like skip a meal um in order not to have these these problems so i think that's probably enough about what it is basically fd is upper uh gastrointestinal symptoms uh without an obvious organic cause there's two main subtypes one is called epigastric pain syndrome and one is called postprandial distress syndrome pds and from what i've seen it seems like people really appear to be on either side of the defense you either have problems after you eat or you have pain i have absolutely no pain i have no pain almost i think now and again i've got a bit of pain but let's let's simplify it day to day i have no pain from these weird symptoms but they're there every single time i eat or i drink i can't consume anything without getting regurgitation burping this weird feeling of pressure um etc so and if i don't eat again if i do the thing where like i don't want to eat and i sort of power through work i get zero symptoms so it's it's for me it's 110 percent related to digestion very easy to, to not get symptoms just don't eat but obviously you need to eat um that's the problem and i'm going to wrap this up quite soon so let's just go to the obvious what can be done about it and actually one more thing um one more thing before i get to treatment and and what you can do about it so um the way my gastro describes it and he's a neurogastro is impaired gastric accommodation and this is again if there's little info about fd about impaired gastric accommodation there's like almost nothing it took me I have up on my GitHub, uh, which is like a coding base for those not familiar, I have a PDF in which I basically dumped in everything I could find from the internet about impaired gastric accommodation. And that's what he says my problem is without having done like, you know, clinical trials because there I am burping again. Um, it's very hard to do effective trials. There's not, there aren't really any... Uh, commonly available tests that they can use for impaired gastric accommodation there are tests for academic researchers they literally inflate a balloon inside your stomach so they don't do that kind of for fun uh, but what that means and the reason i'm mentioning this is that i read that 40 percent of fd people and i'm guessing more on the postprandial distress side have 
impaired gastric accommodation. And, and gastric accommodation basically means uh, when you eat or drink, this is how my gastro describes it, your stomach expands to accommodate food. That's why it's called accommodation. So the muscles relax a bit and the food. So if that doesn't happen and your stomach's basically a sack, well, think about it. The food is going in, the, the bag's not expanding. So there's going to be more a feeling of pressure and fullness and all these sensations. So I think that's basically what's happening for me and for probably a lot of people with postprandial distress is there's something wrong with that nervous reflex for your stomach opening up. And the result is all these, all these um, unnatural feelings going back through the nervous system um that you know that's causing burping and the fullness feeling that's easily easy to understand the fullness feeling um now what i did so that really interests me and i learned a little bit about it the unfortunate thing is that for gastric accommodation there do not appear to be many specific um, treatments at the moment. So they're looking at, and I've summarized this again, if you if you Google my GitHub project, I have this all up there. Um, there are a couple of experimentary drugs that help with it, but there's nothing really majorly direct. Um, so that's gastric accommodation. Now let me just wrap this up by 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 saying what can you do if you have functional dyspepsia some people i've seen in the group i got it from my gallbladder surgery um other people got it from they were in like you know some really stressful events uh it can it seems like it can kick off and that's actually pretty common from what i've seen in these chronic diseases is you know they can kick off from either something psychologically stressful or something physically stressful like surgery um that's how it kicks off and so people have various varying varying causes um in terms of treatment options okay so my gastro told me to eat smaller meals that's the obvious one if if you have if you think about this whole gastric accommodation problem well if you put less in you're going to get less of that pressure feeling so um that is the that's the easiest preventative thing to do um the treatment options seem to be kind of limited so um my gastro firstly had me try a drug called sulpiride which is like a actually an antipsychotic but they use it in a very low dose for here in israel for stomach issues um it's not used in the us uh it is used a bit in europe i've met other people in the group using it for this purpose um and for me it worked it improved things it helped but it, it wasn't definitely a full resolution of symptoms it was like a partial resolution um so that's one option if you're in the u.s not applicable because uh from what i understand it's not used there um there's no reason to be scared i was terrified of taking an antipsychotic drug used for schizophrenia uh, but then i realized all these drugs used for nervous issues affecting the stomach nerves are all psychological psychiatric drugs are just used in smaller dosages and they tend to be older drugs than the modern you know ssris and whatnot so um that was my first one it helped a bit i got some side effects which i would ra rather not get into uh there's a limit to how much tmi i'm willing to disclose <laughs> on the podcast so i got side effects and came looking for a second one and now i'm now i'm supposed to be starting nor triptyline so that's the that seems to be the one that most people are on 
nortriptyline is nortriptyline and amitriptyline these are uh the antidepressants that they used before ssris came along so prozac was the first uh selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and uh, tcas are triclis tricyclic antidepressants and again they use them in smaller dosages but they've been proven and i've i can put research into the description tomorrow after my sleep uh they've been proven to improve symptoms uh the problem with tricyclics is that they there's a reason that uh, psychiatric medicine advanced to ssris because they have a high side effect profile they tend to particularly cause sedation and tiredness so i've taken a couple of dosages just to see how it affected me and i was like destroyed for two days just completely whacked from side effects um so i will not go into further details about my own treatment but that's probably what's next in line for me is going to be nor nortriptyline um it would be it would be uh not accurate not to mention stress because it's like multiple sclerosis if you think about a a uh, men a uh sorry neurological disease at least people don't say don't argue it's psychosomatic but even for ms and for you know other diseases of that nature stress will ex stress can exacerbate them so um i think most i don't know if it's most or a lot but like a lot of people with fd it's not a stress caused 100 percent, but that doesn't mean that stress can't worsen it so um it's prudent if you have this and this is something i'm working on uh at the moment is reducing your stress levels and you know i'm not qualified to go into how that can be done um but uh it would make sense oh before i forget i wanted to mention gastroparesis so that's a common thing gastroparesis is a disease of delayed gastric emptying so the food stays in the stomach for too long and that causes a lot of symptoms for people and it can be very severe um so gastroparesis and fd are like the two are like sister diseases but they're different diseases for gastric accommodation, the way I think about it is that for gastroparesis, there's a problem with food going out of the stomach. For gastric accommodation, there is kind of a blockage at the other end of the stomach with food coming in. And that causes regurgitation and all these assorted problems. So because they're both diseases of motility, from what I understand meaning the way food moves down through the gut they can cause somewhat similar symptoms and a lot of people with fd or think they have gastroparesis and vice versa and some people have both the good thing about gastroparesis is it can be excluded or diagnosed through a simple test called a gastric emptying study so they feed you you did not hear this wrong radioactive eggs i had this test and they take x-rays every hour and they see at what pace the food leaves your stomach so i had that test i don't have gastroparesis uh to the best of my knowledge so according to this test at least and people will say it can be a false negative um i don't really buy into that uh, i think it's probably an accurate test result and they are just two separate problems or two different parts of the of the stomach 
so um that's basically what gastroparesis is and that's that's why a lot of people you'll find a lot of people in fd communities thinking they have it or talking about it there is definitely that kind of connection there but they are two separate conditions although they're often treated by the same doctors um i think that's really all there is to say gastro so functional dyspepsia functional disease upper gastro symptoms you go to a gastroenterologist um there's two different types one causes pain another causes um uh feelings of fullness after you eat and for me actually drinking is a lot worse and water is like the worst for me that's something also the gastroparesis patients report they like I can drink, um, what causes me the least symptoms is actually soda, like fizzy drinks. And that's really unhealthy. And I'm working on exploring different solutions because you can thicken drinks. Uh, that's something I've been looking into that I've kind of figured out again from the internet that you put an artificial thickener to make it thicker. And it seems to me that when you thicken stuff, uh, the extra weight physically of the water just helps it go down easier. Other people talk about coconut water, electrolytes. No one seems to know why this is the case, but plain water is like the worst. And the gastroparesis people say the same things, the same thing. So post the postprandial side, it's not just food, it's also liquids. Um, for me, I would say particularly liquids that cause issues. Um, treatment, old antidepressants uh, called tricyclic antidepressants, um there's another drug called boosterone some people take and again that's like an anxiety drug used in slightly lower dosages and they use it for an anxiety um acetium acetomyodide or something there's a drug that's been approved in japan uh, that hasn't been approved yet in europe and the u.s from what i understand and that's supposedly for this issue that's kind of what there is at the moment uh, and this is a disease that's kind of treated by in theory any gastro but i think you kind of have to go to a specific gastro and you're, you'd probably have more success going to somewhere like the mayo clinic or somewhere really really a tertiary referral center that that really knows about this um i would really really try to em try to emphasize dispel the idea that this is a psychological condition my gastro who is i don't want to name him because it would be a bit weird to say who my doctor is on on a podcast like this but you know it's a major teaching hospital in in jerusalem and israel has a very well respected medical system he's told me it's due to my surgery and vagus nerve damage as he puts it and you know he's encouraged me to reduce stress but he's never said it's caused by stress so um for me it's very clear i never had any symptoms like this before the surgery even when i felt stressed uh and afterwards even when i don't feel stressed i kind of still have these symptoms so i do believe it can be a pure nervous system problem um in terms of disease course does it get worse or better i mean i'm really hoping mine will get better please god uh slowly over time um and i mean that as a, as, a, as as a sincere prayer because uh you know i really don't want to to have to live with this uh, and you know but uh, i don't i don't think anybody anybody knows the um knows the outcome uh 
you know of what's going to be in the future i think it's probably very variable for people that's kind of all i have to say about functional dyspepsia uh, again kind of a weird episode of my podcast uh in which i've talked about everything from linux to um my freelance writing business but this is just something that i felt i really wanted to record for people suffering from fd um anybody who wants to can reach out to me i don't have unfortunately a uh, solution for myself if if i if i do figure out how to cure myself of fd um and what works i will absolutely be recording another another version uh, and sharing it i ah one last thing and i feel like i've said that a few times now fatty foods probably it's probably good to cut down in those because um fat delays motility it slows down motility and it makes food go slower through your gi tract uh so that's something i i need to work on and that's probably another pointer about what's in terms of dietary stuff what's good to have um fizzy fizzy stuff for me seems particularly problematic okay okay enough 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 um if anyone wants to reach out to me you can google my name daniel rosell two l's and there is a couple of contact pages up there on google which i one of those should reach me so feel free to be in touch and thank you for listening to this podcast hope it's been of some interest to somebody and a wishing wishing everybody a good day until next time